You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. Today's show, I sit down with Melissa Clark, author of the New York Times column, A Good Appetite. Uh, we talk about how she got started in food writing way, way back when, uh, when I first met her, God, like in the mid-90s, and how since then she has written or collaborated on more than three dozen cookbooks. Like, that's like over 36. Uh, And she's just come out with her latest, Dinner, Changing the Game. And I think this is something most of us can relate to. You get home on a Wednesday night and you're like, ah. Should we make for dinner? Should we just, uh, I don't know, pasta? Or, or should we do that chicken thing we do? And that's just depressing. We can do better than that. And Melissa is here to show us how. All right, let's do this thing. Melissa Clark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, you and I met, God, I want to age both of us here. Oh, uh, don't do it. Yes. Don't do it. <laughs> when I was at Time Out New York Magazine editing the restaurant section, and that was like 20 years ago. Yeah, it was. I know. I was thinking about that on the way here. I was thinking about, it's been a, a long time, both of us in the food world doing our things. Yeah. You know? And I, and, I, and that's what I would love to talk to you about today is kind of career, and, and obviously we'll talk about food and stuff because it goes hand in hand with you. But at, you know, at the time, you were... A freelance writer. Right. You were writing some pieces for us at Time Out. You could not have been making a lot of money. I mean, time, <laughs> I know I wasn't, and I worked there, and whatever we were paying you. So let's, if you can go back, you know, you now have all these books to your credit. You're a New York Times columnist. But, you know, what was it like back then in your 20s? trying to sort of patch together a living as a food writer? Well, so I had to be creative in the way that I considered food writing. Um, first of all, you know, the, all those little restaurant blurbs that I used to write that I, I, you know, I think I got paid more back then than people get paid now for oh the same God. number of words, you know, so you think about it, like I got a dollar, I mean, there were 50 words, but I got a yeah. dollar a word. Okay, not bad. So, you know, that's, that was, and back 20 years ago, that was real money, um, sort of. And I also did a lot of, um, Okay, so I did recipe developing, which is, you know, can we talk about what that is? Yeah, yeah, sure. So back in my 20s, I barely knew what a recipe developer was. I had cooked in restaurants. I had done some cooking school. But I wasn't really, you know, I wouldn't have considered myself a professional. But this was at the time when people still bought packs of recipe cards. So not everything was online. You actually, Uh, people had recipe boxes. Remember those? Well, I mean, I remember back then, I mean, I came to GQ, for instance, in 2000 after three years at Time Out. And I don't even think, I don't even know if we had had a website then. And if we did, it was just kind of like a placeholder. Yeah, you couldn't just go online and get every recipe you Exactly. Wanted. So people collected them. And I. so what I did, and somehow I found my way into this through freak of just, you know how it's one of those, oh, you know someone who knows someone. And someone asked me, oh, you, you write about restaurants. Can you develop recipes? And I said, sure, because I was 22 yeah. and I was, you know, I, I thought I could do anything. And I, so I really taught myself how to do it. Um, and, you know, I had an, a, enough culinary background, and I had, was so passionate about food, and I had every cookbook. You know, my, my house was crammed with cookbooks, um, and I had grown up cooking, so I had enough uh, baseline knowledge. And I really threw myself into this recipe developing, and I used to develop recipes for recipe cards. The cards themselves, the photographs were taken in Scandinavia. Wait, so, well, who, who, who was doing these cards? <laughs> it's, it's a publishing company. It was this publishing company. You know, they were mail-order cards. It was mass mailing. You'd get a packet of these recipe cards in the mail, and then they'd say, do you want to subscribe? Almost like Columbia House Records, yeah. except for recipes. Oh, my God, Columbia House Records. Yes. Which Making it I, sound old also. Exa- for, for you youngsters out there, <laughs> that'd be like, you can get 12 albums 
albums for the price of one, and then all of a sudden they rope you and you're buying all these albums, every, like Doobie Brothers records every month that you don't want. <laughs> exactly. But you, and you don't know how to get out of it. You're like, I don't want these albums anymore. Same exact thing, except like, this I'm is with recipes. This was a Clark person's recipes. So you weren't testing recipes. No. There's, different. There's a difference between testing and developing. Yes. Testing is when a famous chef is making some recipes and they send them to you and they, hey, can you make sure these recipes actually work? They wanted you to come up with recipes. Well, and so, but the crazy thing is they had these cards. They had already published these same recipes in Swedish. And oh so God. they sent me the Swedish cards with a photo of, uh, like, coffee bread. I made so many co- yeast-risen coffee breads because that's what they eat in Sweden. So they'd send me these, you know, photos and said, match the photo. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yes. So I used to, so that, and you know, I made, I think I made like $100 a recipe. And I was all- Plus and, expenses for the ingredients? No, they wouldn't reimburse me for the ingredients. Thing. But oh, it was coffee okay. bread. It wasn't that much. Right. It was, you know. But, um, <laughs> Some King Arthur flour, a pack of yeast. <laughs> exactly. I, I was using supermarket. I was using yeah. key food flour, trust me, yeah. you know, back in back in the day. Anyway, so I, um, that was really, that was how I could afford to live in Manhattan by myself, you know, well, with a roommate. But, you know, like I could be, yeah. I didn't have to live with my parents. I could actually be a f- yeah. in the food world. I was writing the restaurant reviews. I was doing this. And then I have to admit that I was also a coat check girl. And right. that was my other. So an American place on. Oh, um, wow. Larry Forgione. Reg- Larry Forgione. And then um, I was the opening coat check girl for Gramercy Tavern. Interesting. Yes. What, how long were you at Gramercy for? Oh, like a month. Okay. My wife was one of the, she didn't. Oh, she came a few months after it opened, but she worked as a waitress there, a food runner, for like three years with that original Colicchio and crew. Um, yeah, that was it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, that, it's still that an was amazing the, place, but the yeah. hottest restaurant. And that, 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 I would say that was on the cover of New York Magazine before it even opened as like the next big New York restaurant. And it was. Yeah, yeah. But working as a coach girl was great. I made a ton of money. You know, or, yes. you know, you, actual you, cash money. Actual cash money, and. Um, and it was it was also just great to be in that milieu, you know, to like see what went on in the restaurant, especially with Larry Forgione. I was in the kitchen all of the time. I mean, and he, they all the cooks they let there, you in the kitchen all the time. They were so great. They let me in the kitchen. I was, I mean, I was, you know, stuffing my face yeah. with, you know, pecan pie. But I was also watching. I was learning. They all the chefs. You know, Larry wasn't there a ton, but all his sous chefs were very much. You know, I was interested, and they were interested in. Was that on to Park it. Avenue South? Was it that was, the one? Yeah, yeah. And that's where um, artisanal then yes. took over. Yeah, and Larry, for those of you who don't know, he was sort of one of the forefathers of modern American cooking, and he helped found the James Beard Foundation, and yeah, he was part of that whole. And crew. his son is Mark Forgione. Yeah, and Mark it, is was, a, a very successful restaurateur, exactly right near here in Tribeca. Um, What's well, interesting because like doing the recipe cards and things like that, and um, you know. I meet a lot of young kids out of college and want to come work at Condé Nast or Bon Appetit yeah. or Food and Wine or wherever. And it's just like there's a lot of different ways that you don't have to start off in the big time. You know, you can do things like recipe cards. There's all sorts of ways to sort of patch together a living and sort of get some experience under your belt before you go to the big skyscraper building job. And, and you should, actually. I mean, I think that's great. I think working around, you know, working in restaurants, even if you're you know, you know, you want to write. I do think working in restaurants is really important. I, I mean, it can yeah. be. It doesn't have to be, but that's one path. There's a lot of opportunity to work on farms right now. I think that's another great. Oh, I, like, I wish yeah. I had done that. That's the thing that there's lacking. Yeah. And now there's so many of these smaller, more specialized farms that are raising really interesting ingredients specifically for restaurants. Exactly. And you get, I mean, you really, you know, I think that as much as in touch with the ingredients as you can get in all ways, you know, what do they look like in restaurants? But before that, you yeah. know, 
I think that's really important in trying to get the whole ingredient as opposed to, you know, as a cook, we're so used to finding, going to the supermarket and getting the cut that yep. we want. But as close as we can get to the actual whole, either animal or vegetable or fruit, is makes us better cooks. So you're doing your little Swedish recipe cards, um, <laughs> writing some 75-word uh, write-ups or timeout. Yep. Um, at that point, so you're in your, your 20s. Are you thinking like, oh, I can make a career out of this? Or are you like, is this something I'm doing just until I get have to go to law school or something? Or where was your head at? That's funny, because law school was always the thing that my you know my parents were like, are you sure you don't want to be a lawyer? I said, well, you'd be such a good lawyer. <laughs> New York parents. New York parents, yeah. exactly. Uh, when they, they saw that I would be a miserable doctor. So then it was the other, you know, the other Jewish yeah. parent. <laughs> you, got, you got two choices, kid. Exactly. Lawyer, doctor. Um, but... Yeah, I was. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a food writer. It's really funny. And if I didn't, if it wasn't food, it would be some other type of writing. But writing. so you're you're like, I'm doing this, Dad, Mom. If you don't like it, whatever. But this, I, this is this is my this is my career. Yeah, I I just, you know, when it was back then, there weren't you know you, there wasn't as many forums for food writing as there are now. Now yeah. there's a lot of places that you can write about food, and a lot more people interested in reading about it. You can, but as you pointed out, there's a lot of places where you can write about food and not really make enough to make a living, though. That, that's, that is That's true. kind of the challenge. That's true. Actually, I think it's harder to make a living now than it was back then. Uh-huh. I really do. Um, so yeah, so this is all going on, and I'm I'm recipe developing, and I'm you know working in restaurants as a coat check girl, and I'm doing these little recipe write ups, and then at the same time, this was you know. Right around 2000-ish, right? Mm-hmm. That's when the internet actually, you know, began. That was when people started. Like, um, where were you in 2000? You I, at- I was. I just left time out to go to GQ, so and, and G- obviously, yeah. and, and Epicurious was already around. And so, obviously, the internet was around, but it would, it had yet to take over our lives. Exactly. You know? But they were still. That was right when they were starting to look for content providers. Yeah. And I got a job with Hearst. Had a website called Home Arts. Mm. And I got paid a dollar a word to write actual 900 word stories wow. of food. That's yes. good. Yes, it was and amazing. We, and what were these recipe based stories? No, or what? these were just um, my you know 24 year old meditations on um, the egg cream. I yeah, mean, yeah. I kid you not. Like I wow. look back at some of these things, I'm like, I can't believe anybody published these. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> what about anyone read them? Who knows? I'm but sure yeah, nobody but, read them. But I mean, you got paid. <laughs> but I but I got paid, and I got and for me, what was so great is I was if this was now as a contemporary, it would be so, I'd be writing these on a blog. You know, yeah. like so it was just I think writing blogs, I think writing these things. Anytime that you can get yourself thinking about something, writing it, seeing it through, working on the structure, really thinking about it, and even better if you can work with an editor who can actually help you with your style, help you get your thoughts out. I mean, that is just gold. That stuff that, that's, I think, every writer should just be doing all the time. The writing on various platforms and types of media, um, food writing, restaurant writing, recipes. When did you start to sort of realize that your traction was going to be an actual cooking and recipes as opposed to restaurants or food writing? Because there's lots of different ways. When did that happen? When I realized, so I was recipe developing, and then I got offered a cookbook. Someone said, oh, you're doing these. It was actually through the same publishing company Mm -hmm. that was doing these Swedish cards. I said, oh, you know, I know this other friend of ours is a book packager. He needs somebody to write a bread machine cookbook in six weeks. In English or Swedish? Luckily, English. (laughs) Actually, it was really funny because I happened to have been married to a Swede. Was this a former husband or current husband? A former husband. A former husband in my 20s. You know, stuff. lots really? of people have them. Like Swedish, Swedish? Or Swedish, a... Swedish from Sweden. Where did you meet this guy? We don't have to get that into that, but did you meet him in Sweden or no? He was in New York. You know, at a gallery opening party. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Back, you know. Back in the day. Back yeah. in the day. 
All right, so you're married so, to a Swedish guy, working a for a Swedish guy. publisher. Did not think we'd be talking about this. Um, so you did this book for a publisher, a quickie, so to speak. Bread Machine Cookbook yeah. in six weeks. I had four I bread. Remember bread machines? Those were such remember a those? thing. Those were like what you got, like your, your mom at Christmas. You bought her like a bread machine from William Sonoma. Yes. And she might have used it once. You know, my sister still has a bread machine and uses no. it all the time. Really? I kid you not. Wow. Every time she comes to a family dinner, she brings some. And it's great. I mean, it's, you know, it's great. Fresh bread with butter. Fresh bread eat. with butter. It's yeah. She always she always um, brings it warm. Yeah. So bl- there you go. Better. So you can't, you can't beat that. Um, so, sorry, so you got that on your belt. So, so while you're not necessarily doing sexy assignments, you actually are working. You're learning how to write a cookbook. You're learning how to develop recipes. Exactly. You're getting actual experience under your belt. And what I learned doing all that was I'm actually good at this whole recipe thing. Yeah. I'm good at it. I like it. I can, I can put things together. Confidence together. in yourself. You're like, I can do this. I, yeah, I really could. Yeah. And I really felt, I, mean, I really loved it. I mean, getting you know into the nitty gritty of a recipe, I love that. I love thinking about why does this work? How can I make it better? Yeah. How can I take this dish that everybody cooks and. Is it fair you know, to say, because like I said, when, when you'd written for Time Out years ago, um, I, I re. It seems like in my mind, it seems like you're an organized person. Is that fair to say? Like you would always get your stuff in on time, like the correct word. Like you know, there are certain writers we know out there who are great, but are a pain in the ass to get anything from. I you were always very easy to get your your stuff from. Um, comparatively, I think yeah. I think that's a very low bar for writers. <laughs> <laughs> so, am I organized comparatively yes. um, compared to you know an accountant or someone? No, you know, well, I mean, no. But let's I mean, compare it to our mutual friend Adam Sachs, who oh is God, a brilliant I'm writer, so much more guy, organized but yes, than it, Adam Sachs. Yeah. Oh, yes, a million. Impossible times. to get a piece out of. Yeah. And eventually, you eventually get it. You're very happy about it. But God. well, that's the thing. I mean, when you're that talented, you can get away with stuff. It's funny. We were. I remember talking to a friend about like. Uh, writers and he's saying you have to be two of three things you have to either be really talented really friendly or really sort of like punctual yes. you don't have to be all three but you have to be two of, two any of, of those the three or, yes. it's, that's exactly right it's like I always tell people I'm like you know what get it in on time say yes and get it in on time and then be and, the, if, and if you're easy to work with and yes, all that like, and be the person that your editor wants to call and chat with exactly because if they have to call you up and you're going to be obnoxious about no, what if they're you know I mean that's how to do and it and you're late with your work and you're, forget this. it yeah all right, so sorry. So you have confidence in yourself. You realize you're good at this. You like the nerdiness of really understanding how a recipe works. So, what was your sort of first big break, like that people noticed that you actually, other than a Swedish cookbook? Um, you know, it was like they were all a bunch of itty bitty little breaks. It really wasn't the the big break. I guess was the New York. You know, when I finally started writing for the New York Times in 1998 was my wow. first New York Times column. So that was you know. Wow. Um, and it, the column was it was I started writing. Um, this little column called The Food Chain, where people, readers would write in, actually write letters. There were letters. And I would answer the letters in the paper. You know, oh, how do you, why do you need to add cream of tartar to egg whites, for example? Okay, what is the purpose? Food advice. It was exactly, it was just food questions. Or, you know, what's the purpose of um, letting your yeast proof? Yeah. So something like that. And I would, so I would take these, I'd answer them in the paper. I'd write a little, you know, scientific ex- explanation. And I got a byline. There you and go. That was, so and that was so that was like, who's this Clark yeah, person? who's this Melissa Clark person? So what? So all right, on your bio says you. Is it true you've worked on thirty eight cookbooks? Yes, that's insane. Okay. Because well, that's another thing. So it's like, how do you make a living, right? So your my recipe cards are gone. I'm not coat checking anymore. Yeah, I'm right, and I'm also writing cookbooks with chefs, and that was the way that I really was able to make a living. So is, who was like who? What was the first good experience you had with a chef working with a chef? Oh, Sylvia's up in Harlem. Okay, it wow. was fantastic. So how did that come about? friend of a friend again uh-huh. it's it's a lot of it is you know i think i was 
I think I joined um, New York Women's Culinary Academy. And okay. so through that, you know, it's like you got to get out there and join these things. And, and so show did up. you <laughs> go up to Sylvia's in Harlem and like Went would up you to Sylvia's in interview Harlem. her and cook with them or how did that? Well, because yeah. like I said, there's different ways to sort of write a cookbook with a chef. How how do this you one, feel it works best? This one I wasn't doing recipes at all. I mm. was just doing text. So okay. I would sit there and I would go up there and I would interview her. I'd interview her family. I'd, how old know. was she at the time? That's a good question. So this was like. N- 99 maybe so okay so that's 17 years ago or yeah yeah so she was in her 60s okay i guess 70s 60s 70s but she was great and um i would go up to harlem twice a week and i'd spend all afternoon there and it was fantastic she was such a wonderful woman and her husband you know who i met and her family so warm telling me their stories and i would write their stories in their voices which i loved you know i was i also have an mfa so i have like the little like a little, a little bit of fiction writing um, you know, desire in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I love writing in other people's voices. So I really enjoyed that project. And that was the first book that got noticed. And I met a lot of editors through doing that project. And they, and again, I handed it in on time. Who published that book? That one, oh, that's a really good question. It was William Morrow, okay, I yeah. think. And so, if, and, and when you work with an editor, like, oh, yeah, she's good. She knows what she's doing. Oh, someone's like, oh, you should call that Melissa Clark person. She exactly. did a good job. Totally got her stuff in a time. All that stuff. Exactly. So then I started getting, you know, word of mouth. It's hard to find people who want to write cookbooks um, and who can, you know, I mean, who can hand it in on time. I mean, when you're, especially right now, when chefs are doing cookbooks, they they need help. So when did you actually, uh, in terms of the cookbook writing process, get involved in a a cookbook on the recipe level and not just the sort of the the text level? Well, so I had already done this bread machine cookbook. So I'd had the recipe stuff. I'd done Sylvia's book. And so then I think the next book... I think it was the Instant Gourmet. So then I, it was this little book that I wrote under my name called The Instant Gourmet. It was almost like semi-homemade that we were talking yeah. about. And I did that um, for a book packager. And well, you're just hustling. <laughs> I was hustling. Oh, my gosh. Every time someone called me and said, do you want this? I said, yes. yes. There was no, you know. And, little by, and then I think the biggest break I got in terms of writing with a well-known name was when I did Claudia Fleming's book. And Claudia was the original pastry chef at Gramercy. Exactly. And, and I still that I still that her I know. Guinness Stout cake. I know you had a problem with that cake. I would never forget. No, that. but it's still a great cake. But did I did I say something to you? Yeah, about because it? the pan there was a pan size issue. Oh, interesting. But I still fondly recall that because it's like a dense, like gingery stout. They oh, use a Guinness. Delicious. And... But it's so funny because when I think of when I think of that recipe, I think of you oh having the problem, Kvetching. and I think no, no, it wasn't. It was. So this is this is who I am as a recipe writer. Yeah. I like how can I make like oh my god somebody failed the recipe didn't work because of what I did. <laughs> how did I and I take it out. I'm like oh my god I failed. I have to how can I make it better next time? And it's so funny that you remember that and I, and I, <laughs> so I just remember how good the cake tasted. Um, I run into Claudia now in the North Fork sometimes, uh, and she still makes amazing food and um, had some amazing chocolate chip cookies of hers recently. Um, yeah, that was so that was it was interesting her as a pastry chef and she was. I think it's about Claudia Fleming. Like she had a very unique style at the time. Like she was doing pastries in a way that everyone else was doing, like Jacques uh, Torres and yes. like architectural and spires and chocolate weird stuff. And she was just doing like a ama- like putting like rosemary in the you know the poached whatever grilled pears. Yes. Or, it was just so earthy and not overly pastry-ish. Well, you know, because most of pastry chefs come straight out of the French tradition. Yeah. Back then they did. And Claudia had worked in France, but she married this French tradition with her extremely American sensibility. And, you know, you had chefs like Larry Forgione who were coming from an American sensibility, mm-hmm. but then they would do straight Americana. They would do pecan pie, yeah. lemon meringue yeah. pie. 
or lemon meringue tart. But Claudia would took these two things, and so she elevated the American stuff, made it fancier, and she took the French stuff and made yeah. it simpler. But it was in an interesting intersection. Yeah. It, like, it was homey, but in a really sort of interesting. Oh wow! I never would have thought to pair this flavor with that, and, and yeah, a really satisfying with flavor. Smart, simple way, and it's so hard to be simple. And most pastry chefs or regular chefs overcomplicate things instead of. Because it's easier to overcomplicate than just do something simple that's memorable. Yeah, you know, the default for chefs, I think, a lot of time is, if this isn't working, what can I add? Instead mm. of, if this isn't working, what can I take away? Exactly. So when you're with a book like Claudia's and other chefs, are you testing the recipes with them? Or how, do, how, how does that process work? Yeah, so Claudia um, gave me the recipes, and I would test them. And it was crazy. So I would test them. She insisted, and I agree, and this is actually sort of set the standard for me going forward, is that I test them in my kitchen at home so that we had yep. them tested in a normal yep. kitchen as opposed to a professional kitchen. Because yeah, so the regular home oven. Home equipment, too. Yeah. Like, not just oven, but, like, my cookie sheets were different from her cookie yep. sheets. Stuff exactly. like that. And so many often with, like, chef recipes and as a magazine and stuff and your current job with the Times, you deal with some, if you get a recipe from a chef, they also are dealing with different measurements or, like, they're making it for service that night at, at the restaurant for 100 people. And it's like, no, I just need to make this for four people. Exactly. And they have no idea how to do that conversion. Yeah. And so that was part of what I would do. So she would give me this giant recipe. You know, she would give me her ice cream batch, which was, you know, for three gallons. Yeah. And I would, she had, like, <laughs> right. how do we make it into a quart? Right. And I would test it at home. And then I brought every single thing I made to her at Gramercy Tavern to taste. How often have you gotten in sort of like conflicts with chefs where they're like, no, 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 that's not how I want to do it. You should do it like this. Oh, often, yeah. Really? Like I what, mean, what, what will you bicker over? For yeah, we bicker over? over, you know, I'd say, can we take out a step? Can we yeah. use a – I'm always, I'm coming from the perspective of the home cook. Yeah. I'm like, how do we make this easier, simpler, better, you know, better? Like, in terms yeah, there's of a thing. big difference between chef and cook. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm trying to bridge that gap always by, you know, coming from my Who, – Who's the most difficult? Like, or I should say, you oh, really I think say, I'm going to answer? I don't that? want to say difficult. I say, who was the most pre- <laughs> ardent in keeping things the way they thought they should be? Well, Claudia was definitely oh. the most um, involved, which yeah. was. But I love her so much, and she was so great that it was. And I learned so much from her. So. She was very particular, but that was fine. Because, particular, that's a good word. Yeah, but yeah. that was, but that was, it wasn't like. Who else was particular? Well, no, we see a lot of chefs, and we have the opposite end of the oh, spectrum. They just the, don't care. They just don't care. They don't like, I mean, I don't think, there are certain chefs whose books I've written, I don't think they've ever read them. I, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, they, so. They got a deal. They need to get the book out. They've got seven restaurants that they're looking after. Exactly, and they just want to, you know, I'll work with a sous chef, and the sous chef is also, you know, doing an entire sous chef job and not really wanting to deal with a book that doesn't have his name on it. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, he doesn't care. Um, well, speaking of books, so you have a big, beautiful new book out, Dinner, Changing the Game. Changing the Game. Um, and kind of, I'm going to let you explain it. What's your, what's your elevator pitch on this book? Because <laughs> I hope you can do a better job than I. Well, so I do, I, re- I, I know that you see this too working in um, at Bon Appetit. People have a dinner problem. They, it, you oh, know, yes. no, you know, it's like no matter how many recipes are out there, no matter how great they are at cooking or how maybe not great they are at cooking, dinner comes around every, every single night. I'm night. constantly, <laughs> I, I have this ongoing text with my wife. I'm like, hey, what do you want to do for dinner tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do? Exactly. Well, what do you want to make? I don't know. And it's just like, and yet you somehow find out to not only have hundreds of recipes in a book, you do it in the Times each week, and I'm like, I have no idea how you come up with all these ideas. I mean, for me, that's luckily that's the fun part. I mean, I'm not every night. I mean, some nights, you know, I'm like everybody yeah. else. Some you, nights, you I'm order just... in, you go out, you know. 
little or this. you just take everything in your fridge and put it on the counter and say, "Oh my God, what am I going to do?" With no, no, this? I just order in. <laughs> I like it. You know, we have no. We have, our takeout options are really quite poor, oh. so we don't we don't do a lot of that. We do a lot of cooking from the freezer, though. Oh wow, cooking from the freezer. That's cooking it. from the okay. This I'm is fast. a good. That's like that's like I find I think that is something that the younger generations, like my parents, my mom used the freezer a lot. I feel like people my age and younger don't use the freezer a lot. So this is another way I want to term it, and you can't steal this because I'm going to write okay. about it. It's called right. refrigerator foraging. Interesting. S- yes. So you go into your fridge, and you find all those little leftovers that you keep because you keep everything. Yeah, don't yeah. throw away anything. Yeah. And you repurpose them. You recreate. You come up with a dish that uses up two tablespoons of oxtails and one like half of a gross red onion and yep. a cucumber, and then you you figure it out. You figure it out, and you make something delicious. And we do a lot of that in our house because I often have these weirdo things hanging out. But that's not what this book is. No, no, <laughs> that's just the real me. So, all right, elevator pitch for this book. Right, so it's a big so, book. Right, so it, people have a dinner problem. I feel that people get stuck in ruts. They either make the same thing that they've always been making. Like, okay, you know, I'm going to make this spaghetti and meatballs, or I'm going to make this stir fry, and then they get sick of them. It's always like, hey, should we do the chicken thing again? Exactly. And, like, there's a bazillion chicken dishes out there, but for whatever reason, couples do one chicken dish. Exactly. And so so there's that problem. And then they also feel often that they're people really are still stuck in this sort of 1950s protein and two sides mentality. Yep, yep. And, you know, even though the, at restaurants you'll go and you'll order four side dishes and that's your dinner or, you know, you're just happy to have um, an yeah, appetizer. We'll, we'll, we're going to split an entree but have four cool little like grains and salads and roasted right. vegetables and, yeah, right. gra- graze on all that. But you won't, people don't but cook home, that no. way. You know, you, yeah. it, you really are still, so or they don't often. So what I tried to do in this book is take those two things, the dish that you always make all the time and the idea that dinner doesn't have to be a protein and two sides and kind of merge them so every single dish in the book is one that's dinner you don't make more than one thing you don't make a protein and two sides you make one recipe from the book that's your whole dinner maybe you'll add a salad if you want to or not maybe you'll add a loaf of bread or not maybe your sister will come over with some warm bread exactly but maybe you don't eat bread and you don't need bread maybe you don't eat carbs after six but there's (laughs) enough going on in that one dish that it doesn't feel one dimensional it's not not just a piece of chicken exactly that dish has enough going on the cover is for sheet pan chicken so sheet pan chicken who doesn't love a sheet pan you throw some chicken on there it looks like we got potatoes and leeks and leeks and, and you throw yogurt. some lemon mm-hmm. you hit it with some it's 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 like a tray of nachos but chicken exactly Uh-oh. pretty much except well you, no cheese and but. some fresh herbs at the end herbs are always just they kind of wake up everything well that's the thing so then you take the chicken dish that you make yeah. every week right like oh should we make the chicken thing and then what i do in the book is i take that same chicken dish probably or something similar and i i freshen it up for you in ways that you probably hadn't thought of yeah. like for example have you ever roasted chicken with grapes Right? I mean, you might have, but most people, like, it's, <laughs> it's you know, you, you no, professional. No, I actually, I, it's funny because I laugh, like, and I, I'm not a huge cookbook guy, but, like, in terms of how I cook, but I do, I remember I, I got a Tyler Florence cookbook years ago from whatever work, and he had a braised chicken grape sort of thing, and my wife made it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually delicious. Yeah. And, and so like, it's, like, little things like that. You know, it's, like, little touches, or, you know, those, remember that pomegranate molasses that you bought for that oh, yeah. one recipe? I'm like, yes. what are you going to do with it? Hey, guess what? A drizzle on that same roasted chicken, and maybe you're going to add a little bit of yogurt with some cumin seed, and it just takes it, it just makes it so much better. You're not actually doing any more work, and you're refreshing. You're still eating the foods you love, but you're just making them a little bit better without any harder work. I and mean, it's interesting as a as a cookbook author now and doing like a, if if we can call this an all purpose cookbook, and um, that it's not like a specialized thing on one ingredient or something. Um, but it, it's fascinating. 
I guess how we eat as a country, and that dictates how you develop recipes as a recipe developer. But you know, in the pasta one, we're doing fusilli roasted with cauliflower. We've got a pappardelle with chicken livers and rosemary. And the next thing you know, we're doing spicy pork noodles with ginger and baby bok choy. We've got coconut rice noodles with ginger and eggplant. The flavor profiles and internationalness of cooking, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. That that spectrum is now is so broad how we as a country eat. I think that is exactly right. I was thinking about this um, earlier today. Actually, I think your latest issue talks a little bit about this, We right? did in the March yes, issue, yeah. Yes, in the March yeah. issue. It talks about that. I was sort of thinking about the olden days when people would just eat the foods of their country. Like, you'd be in Italy, and I mean, yes, Italian food is huge, but, or you'd be here. We eat all over the world. It's amazing. We have and like At, every night you expect something different. Yeah. And I've, and I've talked about this, yeah, with our new issue about the children of immigrants bringing all these amazing foods to our table. But you've got garlic, chili, chicken breast in a sort of torn up with some smashed cucumbers and rice. You have like the, the speaking of pomegranate seeds, which oh, are very yeah. sort of otolenghi and yep. more sort of Middle Eastern and Mediterranean. And it's like in harissa chicken. Yeah, it's fascinating. And that's all there for the taking as long as you, as you point out in the beginning of the book, like buy some of these staples, have some of these, whether it's fish sauce or pomegranate, molasses, et cetera. And you can sort of unlock this sort of world of cooking. Yeah, and you add a little bit, a, a drop here, a drizzle there, a dab, and you completely change the profile of what you're eating. Okay, let me see this. All right. Yes. With having to develop so many recipes, you know, you're doing a column a week for the Times, plus you're doing, I mean, cookbooks. How many recipes in this book? 225, I think. Wow. That's more recipes than I've cooked in my entire life. Um, <laughs> As a recipe developer, creator, and I know this is something that chefs deal with, what is that line between borrowing and stealing or inspiration and, you know what I mean? Because, like, every recipe is kind of a riff on something else or a song is a riff on something, you know. So how do you sort of hold yourself? What is your standards in that? You know, obviously you can't copy anyone's recipe. Um, Okay, so the legal standard is if you change one thing, it's your recipe. But we all know that that's bull. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you know when you steal a recipe. When, You know, it's funny. I never... For me, it's easy because I don't ever follow anyone's recipe anyway. So I'm never, I'm always, even when I'm making someone else's recipe, I'm actually making my recipe because I'm changing this or I'm changing that, you know, except for the very rare instance. Or if I'm testing a recipe, then I follow it. Or baking is a little harder to to wing it. But when I'm cooking, I'm already changing it to my taste. You know, it's like they say one puny little garlic clove. What are they kidding? I'm going to use eight. You know, that's not enough olive oil. More olive oil here. And you know what? I think that this is going to be better if I cook it at 425 instead of 375. So I'm already making adjustments. So that's, I think, very important. I do think people know when they steal a recipe, and I think you shouldn't do it ever. Um, For me, when I develop, I don't start from other people's recipes. I start from the ingredient. You know, so I'm not. Okay. You know, I'm not changing. I'm I'm like oh. Cauliflower, for instance. Like, exactly. Let's do some of the and then this I'll week. read a bunch of, like, I'll be inspired. I'm like, oh, wow. Um, Gerardo from El Rey does cauliflower with um, avocado. And that's amazing. I want to do that too. But of course, his recipe is a chef recipe. That's yeah. this, this. And mine is, I take it in a completely different direction. But I will I will be inspired yeah. by combinations. I, think that's, I, mean, I, I mean, I know my wife and I do that a lot at, at home. We'll often be inspired by something we ate out. And then, like, how can we sort of take that basic idea? and make it home friendly and sort of riff on it without having to duplicate it exactly. Right, exactly. And so that's that's always, and I mean, I think it's important when you're developing recipes to read all your periodicals, read your Bon Appetit, read all your periodicals, read your cookbooks, be in the world of food and see what people are doing to become inspired and then go out and eat. And don't just eat at fancy restaurants, eat okay. all over the place, you know? Another question about the book, and Potter published it. Um, so in this book, which is 
you have, which I thought was interesting, you're flipping through the first beautiful pages, and there is a photo of you and your husband and your daughter. Mm -hmm. There's also a shot of you sort of right hanging out here with your cool apron on, hands on hips, looking pretty badass. Um, Doing my best. I know, like, having, we had Gwyneth Paltrow on the podcast one time, um, and she was talking about when anytime she does cookbooks, the publisher is like, oh, you need, we need at least 15 photos of you in the book, on the cover, in the book, this and that. Did the publisher say, hey, we want you in this book, Melissa, or, or were you like, you know what, I feel like I should be in this book, this is my book, these are my recipes? How did that sort of balance Okay, go? that's, no, they didn't really want any pictures <laughs> of me. That was not part of the, um, the reason I made the photographer take that photo of me with my hands on my hips. It's a good because, photo. Um, yeah, it's a great photo. Um, it's because, so I had a totally different vision for the cover of the book. So if you flip through, there's that chicken with grapes recipe. Yep. Okay. Now, if you look at the picture of the chicken, it's a spatchcock chicken, and it looks like the chicken has its, uh, her, actually her, it's a hen, has her, there it is. There See, doesn't she look like she oh, has her, her hands uh, on her hips where, so, the, where the yes, wings are. Yes, exactly. That's so cute. The, and so I wanted to do that same pose. And so my vision was that that was the cover, and then I'd be on the back cover <laughs> with my <laughs> Because, but yeah, that that got um, that got shut down. Um, but anyway, that's why we had that photo, and so they just it was a good photo, so they just used it in the book. But it, 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 that wasn't necessary at all. And as far as my family goes, that came later. You know, I was working with a photographer, and it was really his idea. He's like, "Why don't we do some family stuff?" And so we 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 did them, and then yeah. they ended up using them. But it wasn't at all part of the contract. But I think it's an interesting move, and I think just in this day and age, where like I said you having to sort of make yourself marketable and you are a self-employed person who works for the times obviously but yeah you have like i i should in terms of doing videos and being a quote-unquote food personality and sort of having to be mindful of that right yeah well i mean that was the videos have made me more you know people don't know unless you have a presence like videos or something they don't know your byline they know your byline but they don't know your face and there's probably 200,000 people named Melissa Clark in the United States. Oh, more than that. <laughs> more than in that. fact, there are three of them in my zip code who order from J. Crew. <laughs> <laughs> I get their stuff Same all the size. time. No, damn it. <laughs> uh, that is hilarious. But, yeah, so um, so that is, you know, I sometimes in, in New York City, especially in the Upper West Side in New York City, I will get recognized. You know, which is and they're like, kind what, of did, did they recognize you by name or like, oh, you're the person from the New York Times videos? They'll, yeah, they'll, they'll say... They'll, they'll just say, like, oh, I love your recipes, oh, cool. or sometimes they'll yeah. say things like, uh, you know, oh, I made that, it didn't work, or <laughs> you nice. made me. My favorite thing is when they come up to you. This has happened so many times. You made me love anchovies. I didn't think I would like anchovies. Like, that is oh, the biggest I, compliment you... I've ever gotten in my life. I don't think there's a better thing to say to me, <laughs> personally, because yeah. I love I'm, anchovies I'm so much. I'm still not there. That's an ongoing. That's really? a, that's an ongoing point of contention between my wife and me. Really, even yeah. like okay, even in a sauce, even in a butter sauce, you melt anchovies <sighs> in a butter sauce. I, I mean, I'm sure you've I done like it. I, I, yes, I mean, yeah. I, there are definitely there are times where I'm at a restaurant, and I, obviously there are certain chefs who favor anchovies. They don't mention them, but you can tell there's that something going on. Uh-huh. I just think like in a Caesar, you know, I still I'm, they're they're too anchovy forward. If it's part of a long stewed thing with other ingredients and just gives you that little baseline note in there, like, okay. But I don't really need to go all anchovy. Wow. Okay. You know, so, that's just me. You that, know, no, everybody but I don't know, has. Maybe taste. Melissa Clark can. can yeah. Can I, actually, I'm me. already like thinking. I'm like, what can I make you that will make you love anchovies? I want to. I want to take on this challenge. <laughs> that should be a good idea for a video. Oh yeah, so again, recognized out there. Um, the times you've been doing since 2007, your Good Appetite column. Yep. How often are you like? Oh my god, I got to do another one this week. What, honey? What am I going to do? <laughs> or 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 are you still excited to do it? 
Um, most of the time, I'm excited to do it. Every once in a while, I'll get a crazy deadline where, because of you know, we have to shoot the rec- we shoot the recipes, so we shoot yeah. the videos, and because of the video schedule, I'll all of a sudden have to develop four recipes in ten days, oh, yeah. which is intense and really yeah. hard. And then then it's a pain. But most of the time, I'm pretty excited, and I'm like, okay, what can I make that's really easy? <laughs> what is more challenging, the writing or the recipe developing? The recipe developing for sure. Um, I mean, the writing, you know, it's only 400 words, so it's yeah. not, I mean, that column, other types of writing are much. But for that column, though. But for you, that for column. That, yeah. yeah, for that column, and it's very formulaic in what they want me to, to write. So I, I mean, not to say that I have it down. I mean, I don't have it down ever. You always, but you know, you, know you know what's expected from week to week. Right. And I know, yeah. Um, but the recipes, um, and sometimes the recipes come together and I make them once or twice. But, you know, sometimes, especially with baking oh, yeah. recipes, you know, you make those things like half a dozen times to a dozen times. I've, you know, I've made baking recipes two dozen times sometimes before they come out the way I want and them. And I would say that. I mean, that's one thing about, at, at Bon Appetit here. And we have this test kitchen, which is really nice. And we have full-time test kitchen cooks. Um and making sure that the recipe works. Because when a recipe doesn't work, people understandably get furious at you. Absolutely. Like, I spent all day to make that recipe and had friends over dinner, and it didn't work. That is my horror, really. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm still upset about you and the gingerbread cake. You know? <laughs> Apparently, I know. <laughs> like then, 17 years later. Exactly. But that is my absolute nightmare. So I want, I want, to, I want to be careful about the way I write it. I want to test the heck out of it. And, yeah, uh, it's, got, it's got to work. Um, all right. Melissa, before we go, we're doing lightning round. Okay. Either or questions. Oh my gosh! Uh oh. You're going to be awesome at this. I Don't hope worry so. about it. Um, first question. We'll start with this: anchovies or lox? Uh, oh God! Oh Adam, you're hitting me where it hurts. I know. That's the, that's the point of the lightning round. For lox. What kind? Um, Gaspay. Okay. Do where do you get your? Lo- are you like a Russ and daughters? Russ and daughters. daughters. Yeah. Russ and Old daughters. School. Yep. Cream cheese bagel or? Cream cheese bagel. Yeah. What kind of bagel? Oh, um, everything. Everything. Why not? Uh, Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. I have more Twitter followers, but I like Instagram better. Yeah, interesting. Do you ever get? Have you gotten any Twitter fights as of late, or do you try to not? No, get I'm to... not allowed. I'm actually explicitly not allowed to get into. It. See, another thing. I was a New York Twitter, Times yeah. person. You can't take right. a stand on anything. Nope. I just have to have nice pictures of food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fried or scrambled? Fried. How do you do them? I like crispy. I like mm-hmm. the crispy, lacy yeah. olive oil kind nice. of. I like the crisp. Preaching to the choir. You, oh, you too? Oh, good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah because flip it, or know. no flip? No flip. Okay. Good answer. Uh, cast iron or sheet tray? Oh, that's another tough one. Cast mm-hmm. iron or sheet tray? Sheet tray. Yeah, you, you like a sheet I li- tray. I like the sheet tray. It's, it's, it's faster and easier, and you can get your whole entire dinner on there. Yes, yeah, so you can put some veg and some protein and some and herbs And I can and put everything. it in the dishwasher. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, are you a fan of like uh, doing like the parchment paper or anything on the sheet tray sometimes? No, because I, want, I actually really like to get the burnt-on bits. Because first of all, that's my favorite part. Oh, interesting point. Yeah, I, all right. I, will scrape the, I actually will scrape the burnt-off bits and eat them when nobody's looking. <laughs> As you're doing the dishes. Um... A New York Times question. Ruth or Bruni? Oh, Bruni. What? Oh, wow. That's easy. Okay. I don't know. I, 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 kinda, I feel like I came up with Ruth in the 90s. You know, when yeah. I moved to New York, she was the one I'm pretty sure I imagine reviewed Gramercy Tavern. I don't know. I literally moved to New York like that week, but um, mid-90s. Although Bruni, I thought Bruni was interesting. Bruni got New York culturally really well. Exactly. He understood the scene of a restaurant and who went there and what its vibe was. I, le- I learned more from Bruni about not necessarily the food, but about the way restaurants function in society, about the culture of a place. Mm-hmm. And yep. I, I just love that. 
Uh, it's a Brooklyn question. Uh, Franny's or Roman's? Oh, that's another tough one, too. Those are my two favorite places. I, I, I had no idea, but I felt you seem like a <laughs> Franny's or Roman's gal. Um, well, okay. I, I mean, that's easy because I wrote the Franny's cookbook with those okay. guys. So, they're, so obviously. And amazing pizza there and pasta and salads. And then Roman's is owned by Andrew Tarlow. Yes, and, and I love all, that place. For, yeah. Ina or Martha? Ina. Wow, that's a quick one. That was, yeah. Her stuff's, I think, more dependable. Sorry, Martha. Just a little more dependable. I respect and kind of revere Martha, but I love Ina. Yeah, that's true, you just, too. You just want to hug her. And you can. Like, and you can. Yes. You can. <laughs> <laughs> try that. Don't try that with Martha. <laughs> no, no, not so huggable. Um, iPhone or iPad? iPhone. Yeah. Pads are too big. Yeah. IPad, I feel like iPads are for kids. Exactly. My yeah. daughter loves her iPad. Yeah. I love my iPhone. Exactly. I. But you know what my son loves? He loves my iPad. I, it's it's not even like it literally is not even mine anymore. There's like weird Star Wars screensavers and apps that I'm like, what are these apps on my iPad? I know, you know I don't know how she keeps loading apps onto the iPad. Oh I'm like, can, can we can we lock that's, it up so she can't do that? They're smarter than we are. That's not going to work. All right, last question: butter or olive oil? Butter. Good firm answer. I like that. We eat a stick of butter every three days at our house. God bless you, Melissa Clark. Everyone, thanks very much. Thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.